Good morning. For those of you that uh, may not know who I am, I'm Vince Dix. I'm one of your trustees here at Calvary. And as probably most of you know, Ben is on vacation right now. And it's pretty common that when gone is uh, when Ben is gone, that uh, some of our men step up and uh, fill the pulpit. And uh, I know that uh, Ben wouldn't ask it a couple of our folks that fill the pulpit quite regularly that their summer jobs are kind of busy for them right now. They've got a lot going on, and they kind of said, we'd like to be passed. Uh, we'd rather not preach. So I know that he went and he asked a couple more, and one of them was busy, and uh, one of them, I think, just turned him down. And I think Ben went on down through the first string, and then he went down through the second string. And then he kind of got to the bench and got to the end of the bench, and there was me in the water cooler. And I understand that the water cooler turned him down cold. So uh, here I am. You know, as a church, we have been moving currently through a series in 1 Corinthians. Ben and Scott and David, I think, have done an absolutely fabulous job on this book. Uh, I'm one of them guys that just absolutely loves to study uh, writings of Paul. And I know each and every time that I go through them, I learn something new, something more. And uh, so 1 Corinthians this time has been a, a real real learning for me, and I've enjoyed us going through it. But uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, the next chapter to be preached on would be chapter 14. And chapter 14 contains uh, 40 verses, and it deals with prophecy, and it deals with speaking in tongues, and it deals with women's uh, speaking in church, which are really kind of the three main topics of that particular chapter. And I think as a pastor, you would say that's a pretty loaded chapter to have to preach on. And uh, it would require careful, careful preparation before you did. And uh, it's probably a chapter I would guess probably in the New Testament, probably the least preached on of any chapter. I would, have, uh, I would imagine a lot of preachers just totally avoid that chapter altogether. I look back in my records, and I did preach on it in 1998 in a little Baptist church that I was pastoring in Newtown, uh, North Dakota. And as I looked through uh, my records, I realized that I actually took the chapter and I divided it into three different sermons. And uh, I'm not quite sure uh, how Ben's going to handle it. Uh, I knew that it was certainly a chapter that was a little bit too much for one sermon. And so he asked me to steer away from it, and he just asked me if I would preach something that would be uplifting and edifying to the church as we kind of go through kind of a troubled time in our nation right now. Now, David Lund, uh, our pastoral resident, he'll be back in the pulpit next Sunday. He's going to preach out of Romans, I believe, David, and you're going to talk about spiritual spiritual gifts. So I uh, encourage you to be here for that. That should be a, a most enjoyable time to uh, go through spiritual gifts and learn, try to learn what your spiritual gift is and what it is that you might be that you need. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your electronic device, I'd ask you to double clutch with me a little bit. We're going to shift gears. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 20. Uh, we are certainly living in very troubled times. With the COVID, I think uh, we always say that we have experienced some kind of effect on our lives. We felt fear. We felt anxiety. We felt stress, loneliness depression, loss of jobs, uh, loss of work, loss of business, child care issues, lack of socialization, 
We've seen all the turbulence that is occurring in our country right now. We've experienced shortages, lack of services that we need. Uh, we went through the dilemma of what our kids are going to do as far as school this year. Uh, many of us have, have canceled travel this year. There's just a lack of normalcy at all sometime to our lives. And we're now experiencing whatever we call this new norm. Our world has changed, probably for a long time, maybe maybe forever. I don't know about you, but about 30 minutes of news or Facebook is just about all I can handle every day. Never did I think that I would see a toilet paper shortage in this country. But on the other hand, I never thought that I could walk into a bank with a mask on and get money and not get arrested. Definitely some uncertain times. Everywhere I turn in print and TV, news, radio, social media, I see fear in people over and over. People do unpredictable things when they are motivated by fear and uncertainty. As Christians, we get caught up in that same worldly fear. But you know, if we go to our Bibles and we look, the phrase, do not fear, appears 365 times in our Bible. I don't have a PhD in math, but you know what? When I look at that, that's kind of God saying to me, do not fear once a day. Once a day to remind me, do not fear that I'm here, I'm in your life. Now about now, I probably several of you are saying, now wait a minute, Vince, I thought that uh, earlier you said that Ben wanted you to preach something that would be uplifting and edifying to the church. And right now, I'm not very feeling very uplifted by what you've just said. Okay, well, we'll get on to our text and get past that. The Bible assures us that there are truths that we know within the Bible that are certain. I found a reference that said there's 3,573 promises that exist in the Bible. But you know, nowhere in the Bible of that text that I looked up and all the research I did online or whatever, I could come up with a number that said how many truths exist within the Bible. It may be the fact, folks, that this entire book is truth. We don't need a number. The whole thing is true. The early church, as we go back and study, was no stranger to persecution, to plagues, to epi epidemics, mass hysteria, you name it. It occurred in the early church. As we look at 1 John chapter 5 today, the Apostle John directs us, that believers, there's attention that he calls to five things that we know that are certain in these very uncertain times. Five truths that will never, ever change. Now, my uh, invisible board here behind me, the next five things are, number one, our promise. John begins with, in that chapter, in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that we may know that you have eternal life. As a believer, we should know that we have eternal life. But I'm not sure how often we roll back and claim that when the chips get a little bit down in our lives. A Christian comedian that Patty and I have followed for many years once said, if you got to feel saved to be saved, you're probably not going to feel saved most of the time. It's a very true statement. How often do we think about our salvation and what God has done for us? 
If we can't count on him for eternal life, we can certainly count on his promises. Life is full of empty promises. But as one that is true, we can claim every day, and this is one. Our first truth in these times of uncertainty is God promises eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Certainly there are times that the devil would do everything he can in his power to try to you to question your salvation. But if he can get you to question your salvation, certainly then you're not doing anything for God. You're not productive for God in any way. The second one that I want to cover is our prayers. In verse 14 and 15, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask him anything according to his will, he hears us. And whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have been asked to him. So the second truth is, in these troubled times, God does hear our prayers. He hears every one. Too often we see Christians at the scene of being a panic. We shouldn't be panicking, we should be praying. So how much time do you spend in prayer? Well, a troubling study that I reviewed that was done a few years ago revealed that the average Christian spends about three minutes a day in prayer. Three minutes. For what they call that average Christian to me, that three times a day would probably be across the teeth, across the gums, look out, stomach, here it comes, Amen. Not much time in prayer to really pray about things. For you married folks, what if you talk to your spouse just three minutes a day and the rest of the time was silence? Okay, guys, don't get any ideas. My prediction would be that in probably a couple of months that Ben would be pretty busy with some marriage counseling because what has happened? We basically have ceased to communicate. It's not any different with God. We need us to communicate and we need to bring our requests to Him on a regular basis. Christians, as a whole, we aren't praying for our nation's leaders. We're not praying for our medical leaders. Our researchers are sick, are hurting our nation that is on such a very, very slippery slope right now. Our pastors, our elders, our church family, the grieving, just to name a few. We forget that through prayer that we get to know Him, we learn His wisdom, we get to know Him better, and we have a relationship with Him. It's hard to know His will when we don't even communicate with Him. When we pray, He certainly is listening. Now my experience has been that when I pray, My prayers aren't always answered. Do you have any problem that line? I'm sure you do. There's four different answers concerning prayer that I've kind of learned about His will. The first one is, if the request is wrong, God's going to say no. God, I really want a nicer pickup than what Wayne has. Do you think that prayer is going to be answered? And the answer is going to be no. And I know that. 
Why? Because it's a selfish prayer. It's a prayer that I never should have prayed. The second is if the timing is wrong, God is going to say slow. A bad area for me here for sure. My prayer is often, God, give me patience, and I mean right now. Timing is just a little wrong. Patience is being on God's timing. It wasn't a wrong request, perhaps. It just was not the right time. It was not God's time. The third one is, if you are wrong, God says, grow my child. Learn of me and my will. The fourth is if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right in asking, God's going to say go. Go for it. How do we make sure that everything is right? John answers that for us. If we ask anything according to his will, we have the request which we have asked from him. But I do want you to think about one thing. Possibly we are all guilty. I know that I am very guilty. Have you ever prayed, God, here's the situation. Here's how you fix it. I'm going to end this prayer right now so that you can get with it and get on it. Amen. Too often we try to push our will on God on how to work things. Very important that we give to him what the issue is, but don't tell him how to fix it. Don't tell him how to do it. Are any of us guilty of that? Pray his will be done, not ours. Pray in line with God's will, and you can definitely pray in confidence. Now, verses 16 and 17 of this passage are very difficult passages, and I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on them. John begins the verse with an odd topic, sin leading to death. And the reference also says, since that sin, since sin, sins that do not lead to death. Now that's caused a lot of debate between Bible scholars over the years. Some refer to this as uh, spiritual death. Others think that it is physical death. Under the law, we know at the time that John lived that there were many sins that could result in death at that time. But Christians today often fail to realize that they can be physical consequences for our sins. Christians are not immune to sin, nor are the consequences of sin. We are still subject to pay the earthly price for our choice, and we often, often forget that as Christians. We are told to pray for our brothers and our sisters. But we also need to pray for unbelievers. And in the sin that they are in, it's quite evident they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should be praying for their salvation. And hopefully we do. The third one is our protector. The third truth that we can be certain about is our protection. John says in verse 18, we know everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protect them, and the evil one does not touch them. 
Now, John isn't saying that Christians don't sin, because we all know we do. In fact, the first chapter of 1 John says that anyone who claims not to sin is a liar. We fall short just like anyone else. Rather, what he is saying is that Christians, we have a protector that is keeping us safe, the Son of God. John is not suggesting that Jesus always protects us from physical harm or illness or financial trouble, relationship problems. Rather, Jesus protects us from the spiritual harm that can occur from the evil one. Satan has taken the form of a deadly serpent. He's taken the form of a ferocious lion. Whatever form that he feels that he can tempt us with and pull us down into sin. Truth is, we fall for the schemes way too often. We do sin, but John assures us that Jesus is bigger and he's stronger than Satan. Even if we mess up, the ultimate victory is Jesus Christ, our protector. Number four of our truths, our place. Verse 19 says, we know we are from God. He holds a precious, precious position for us. A priceless place in God's eternal family. That should uplift us each and every day, just to know that we are part of God's family. Our lack of socialization right now because of COVID should remind us God didn't create us to be a lone ranger. But we are created for a family, for a community. Being part of God's family is being part of our church family. I don't know about you, do you miss coffee time and treats? Do you miss potlucks? Do you miss picnics, awanas, Bible study, worshiping in our church? We're a church family. We need to remember that this is part of our place. Our place that God has placed us to be in His family. The fifth is the Prince of Peace. Verse 20 says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. He is the true God in our eternal life. The word true or truth means the original as opposed to a copy. It means authentic, as opposed to being an imitation. He's the real thing, folks. He's the real deal. Why aren't we excited about it as Christians? In closing, an elderly lady went to her doctor and was told, Ruth, you have terminal cancer. There's nothing more that we can do for you. You just have months to live. I would suggest that you get your Final arrangements in order. I'm really very sorry. She left that office that day and she made an appointment to see her lawyer just to ensure that her will was all correct. She met with her family to convey to them her final wishes of what she would like to have done. She made arrangements to meet with her funeral director and her pastor a couple of days later. And with her list in hand, She picked out her casket, her vault, her pallbearers, her soloist, her music, the scriptures that she wanted to be read at her service, 
and other details that go with the planning of a funeral. As the meeting was about to wrap up, she reached in her purse and she pulled out a dinner fork. And she handed it to the funeral director. And she told him, when you place me in the casket and you cross my hands, I want you to put this fork in my right hand. A little puzzled, the director said, well, okay, we can do that. But can I ask why? She told him, you ever been at a lovely dinner with family or friends? You've enjoyed an absolutely wonderful meal in the company of others? As the meal is concluding and the hostess begins to clear the dishes from the table, and as she's doing that, she says, save your fork. When the hostess says that, you know something good is yet to come. Dessert. She then turned to her pastor and said, I want you to incorporate that into my funeral sermon that I lived a good, long life. That I have wonderful children. That I had a wonderful husband. But now that I have passed, there was something better waiting for me on the other side because I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has assured me eternal life through him in heaven. I have gone on to my dessert. Ruth knew the five truths that we spoke about this morning. Our promise, our prayers, our protector, our place, our prince. If we know him as our savior, we still have dessert yet to come. Heaven. Christians, save your forks. Let's pray. Our Father God, thank you for salvation that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us in difficult times to remain focused on you always. As the world would distract us or pull us down or question our hope that we have in you, may we always remember that you are just a prayer away for all of us. Help us to communicate with you more and lean on you. May we seek your truth and your promises and a word daily and look forward to dessert in heaven with you. Amen.